Let us pray. My wife and I, Alina, have been married for um, 10 years. It'll be 11 years in December uh, when we met. Yay! Woohoo! It's been great. <laughs> um, when we met, she was a high school English teacher in Austin and a, a PhD student at the University of Texas at Austin, and I was a part-time administrative assistant at a church. Now, I, I love churches don't run without administrative assistance, but that was not really a kind of a career trajectory that I thought would be exciting for other possible future spouses. Um, but I, also, I lived in an apartment in Austin that was 350 square feet, um, that the only furniture was a table, um, and most of, it was, most of the, the apartment was taken up by either books, um, my dog, Bumbery, who's still with us, or his hair, his fur, which was everywhere. Um, <laughs> And uh, that was, I didn't have a microwave. I reheated coffee on the stove on a, on a pot. And yet, despite all that, um, we, we met and, and fell in love, and she didn't see those material things or, or those, those prospects. Um, she saw something else. When we, we got married, praise God, we got married. And uh, in a little... And during, after we got married, I, a little deeper fire got into me about the ordination process. I've been going through this ordination process in the Methodist Church for a long time, but I kind of had taken it, done it pretty passively. And the, the process is, is hard for, for most people involved. It's like intentionally, it should be. It shouldn't, it's not an easy thing um, to be ordained, to be set apart for word and table, to be set apart to, to uh, speak the word of God. To people, but it was a little harder than it should have been, and, and some of that was on on me, and a lot of it was on on the church itself. But after after we got married, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm responsible for someone more than myself. I stopped climbing mountains by myself, and I started taking my career seriously. Those are two big changes going on, and um, I got to the point where after right after Dominic was born, I we were appointed to my first church, and so I had, I had two first appointments, and one was a part time appointment to a small church in Winchester, Texas, which is to the east of Austin, about 30 minutes. There is a steakhouse that's larger than the town within Winchester. And if you like, if you like good steak, it's a reasonably priced. It's a great stop on the way to Houston. But, uh, and then I was an associate pastor in a town called Smithville. Now, we had never heard of Smithville when we were appointed there before. And I, we, we drove out the first day. It's like, oh, this is an interesting place. It's right off the Colorado River. And um, told my family about it. My grandfather, who had remembered Smithville because um, he had beaten them in football in 1936. Uh, he was the high school quarterback in Columbus, Texas. And it's like, Smithville was a good school until I played them. And he, but other than my, my grandfather's athletic prowess, um, the first thing that came up when we were researching Smithville was a movie from the 90s with Sandra Bullock called Hope Floats. Some of you may have, have seen this movie. We hadn't seen this movie, but we decided to watch it for research for our, our, new, our new life we were going to enter into. It is, the, the movie is about a, a character named Hope, who's Sandra Bullock's character, who's kind of returns back to her hometown, and, which is Smithville. And it's, it's Smithville in the movie, and it's set and recorded and filmed in Smithville. 
you know, and it's, there's, they take some, some liberties with the town. There's this one scene where she has this kind of walk of shame that looks like it lasts all day, um, but you could walk, you know, 15 minutes in Smithville and you go from one side to the other. Um, you, can't, you can't have like a really, like, you know, you, it's, it's like that if you have a fight in a tent and you zip the tent down really fast to show how, how frustrated you are, that's like walking away in Smithville. Like, you can't really get that far. But um, the point of the movie is how to maintain hope through challenging situations, right? It's a very, uh, very surface-level metaphor. The whole point of the movie is in the title itself. You know, hope kind of floats. Yeah, good for you. Um, but it's, it's a very, it is a surface-level kind of hope. It's a Hollywood kind of hope. It's the, it's the hope for just, like, simple, simple things that could happen. It's a good-nature prediction kind of hope. It's like, gosh, it'd be, it'd be swell if this happened to me. This is not what Paul is talking about with hope. This is not the hope of the Bible. My friends, we are starting a new sermon series on hope this week. We're going to dig a little deeper into, into this concept, into this understanding, into this, this theological virtue at the center of what it means to be a person of faith, to live into hope today. And so we're starting with that most basic of question, what is hope? What is hope? There are a number of passages throughout the Bible that articulate hope clearly. I want to focus on the one that Azar read earlier from Ephesians 1, but before that, I want to take a look at one of my favorite passages in the Bible, which is Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, which has this wonderful definition of faith and then goes through almost the history of of scriptures, of showing faith in amazing ways. But it begins with, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And I want to break that down. And so, you know, assurance, that's really important for faith, to be assured of something. Things, I think we can kind of understand what things are, but it it hinges on this word hope. What is hope? The word for hope in Greek is is elpis or elpizdo, and it doesn't have the same valence as it does in English. In fact, one of the curiosities of the Bible is that the noun form of the word, elpis, never occurs in the Gospels. It occurs 53 times in the rest of the New Testament. It does not occur in the Gospels. And it, the, it's used, elpisdo, the verb form, is used many times, um, but it's, it's used as, as the verb. When Jesus speaks of hope, it is a verb. It is active. Like in Matthew 12, 21, in his name the nations will put their hope. Or John 5, 45, when Jesus is explaining who he is. But, I, but do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses on whom your hopes are set. When Jesus speaks of hope, he uses the verb. Hope is an action. Paul uses the noun form, elpis, as well as the verb. He uses it in such a volume that when we find it in the book of Acts, pretty early on in the book of Acts, we can already see the influence of Paul on, on this writing. Paul uses the word elpis, at the very beginning of the first letter we think he wrote, which is 1 Thessalonians. When he writes, starting in verse 2, we always thank God for all of you when we mention you constantly in our prayers. This is because we remember your work that comes from faith, your effort that comes from love, and your perseverance that comes from hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father. Perseverance comes from hope. This is, this is super 
important. We must read and understand that this hope, this hope that offers perseverance, is different from secular hopes. Hope is not just a longing for another day, but what offers us sustenance to persevere here and now. As the, early, as the early apostle Barnabas wrote, for surely there is a great store of faith and charity within you because of your hope in the life of Christ. We make space for love. We make space for faith through our hope. Now, the greatest definer, if you're ever looking for a definition of something in theology, the greatest definer in the history of, of Christianity is a man named Thomas Aquinas, who if you grew up Catholic, you probably got too much Aquinas going on. Um, but he is, he, he's a good starting point on a lot of things because he writes very clearly. And it's like, oh, this is interesting. He uses the Bible a lot. And you can be like, oh, I agree with this, or this is really crazy, but it's a starting point. Um, so he, he, he uses, when he talks about hope, he says there's four conditions for hope. First, that it is something good. It's important to say that. You can only hope for something good. If, if what you're hoping for is not good, it's, it's not hope. Uh, the second is that it is in the future. Hope does not regard that it, what is present and already possessed. In this regard, hope is different from joy. Joy is about a good that is present. Hope is about a good in the future. Third, it must be difficult or arduous um, to obtain. We don't speak of hope for trifles. It's like, gosh, I really hope that, um, you know, it's going to be hot outside or not, you know, like that would not be, both that would not be good, right? You're not hoping for a good thing. It's also not, not difficult to obtain. It's, it's pretty easy to walk outside and notice the heat. Fourth, though, the, the difficult thing must be obtainable. So it's like, first is you, it's something that is good. It is something in the future. It's something that's, that's difficult to obtain, but it is obtainable. So those are the conditions that Aquinas gives us about hope. I think they're helpful in some ways to kind of think through how we are to understand hope. But what I also think it is important for us to understand is that there is no ultimately satisfying definition for Christian hope. It is always going to be slightly open-ended in a way because it is not finished yet, because we are not finished yet, because God has not been fully revealed to us yet. If we were talking about hope in a secular sense, in a generic sense, in the hope floats kind of sense, it is not open. It's like the hope to meet the, hope to meet the woman of my dreams and settle down. Yay, that's, that's wonderful. It is a good thing, but it is not the fullness of what Christ is offering for us. It's not what Paul is describing in Ephesians. Our, our theological hope, our Christian hope, rests in our future life with God. And in, in that, it must be in some ways open-ended because we cannot physically, intellectually, or emotionally comprehend the fullness and breadth of what that future looks like. Our future with God is not articulated in the Bible as it is in like the closing documents of a house or a property. You know, you know to be a Christian, you don't have to sign 50 um, papers and initial here and sign here with the clarity of like, this is exactly what your hope is. This is the boundary of your hope. Do not hope over here. That is someone else's hope. This is your hope. Um, that is not what is offered to us in Christ Jesus. We are not given super concrete descriptions of hope in the scripture. Instead, we are given images. We're given images of what life with God will look like. We're given images like in Isaiah 25, the image of the feast that never runs dry, the party that never gets old. 
We're given the images of, of Revelation 22, which we'll talk about next week, but of a new heaven and a new earth. Our hope is in God and our future, yet that hope has effects on us now. I can say nothing greater than what Paul said in Ephesians 1, I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call. What is the richness of God's glorious inheritance among believers and what is the overwhelming greatness of God's power that is at work in believers? Now, now when uh, Alina and I met 11 years ago, she did not see me as the world saw me. She had the light to see the hope of God's call in my life, that God was calling me to something greater than that 350-square-foot apartment in South Austin, that my circumstances were not my reality. This day, my brothers and sisters, may you have enough light to see hope for yourselves and for others. Sometimes, though, it can be hard to see. It can seem dark in this world. The world can seem dry and harsh. Yet may you have enough light to see the hope of God's call. The light by which we also come, the, the light by which we see also comes from God. So not only is, is Paul calling us to have the light to see, but in, in this amazing reality of Christ's love for us and God's love for us, the light by which we see God's call is Christ himself. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus used hope as a verb because he was still with us when he spoke of it. For those of us this day after the resurrection, hope can still be a verb, but it is also an object. It is the kingdom of heaven here and now. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit here and now. Paul defines the hope of God's call as the glorious inheritance of believers and the overwhelming greatness of God's power working among us. Hope is not passive but active. Whether it's a noun or a verb, it is active here. It is not just temporally located in the past or the future, but in the present. Hope is about having our eyes open to the beauty and transformation that is already taking place. Paul describes God's power in this way. God's power was at work in Christ when God raised him from the dead and sat him in God's right side in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority and power and angelic power, any power that might be named not only now but in the future. God put everything under Christ's feet and made him head of everything in the church, which is his body. His body, the church, is the fullness of Christ who fills everything in every way. When we are truly the church, my brothers and sisters, the fullness of Christ is here. When we are offering ourselves, when we are giving ourselves, when we are receiving from others, the fullness of Christ is here, the hope of eternity is here. When we are seeking the scriptures together, when we are serving together, when we are giving together, the fullness of Christ is here. God is making all things new here and now. Your life can change here and now. May you have the light to see the hope of God's call here and now on your life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, open our eyes that we may see the beauty of your love. Open our hearts to see the light of your call in our life and your call on others. Give us the strength to live out your hope here and now. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.